Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Mic Night, the podcast that brings you stories of people on their journey, helping to guide, answer questions, and motivate you and inspire you in life and the business. My name is Marcos Luis, and I want to thank you guys for joining me on this journey. Today, we are doing another episode of Global Connection. We're talking about human experiences. We're talking about life and how we can reach across the world to help other people. My guest today is an incredible woman. I've known her for a while. And in the last few years, she's championed some things in her native country. So we're going to talk to her. So please welcome Savannah Maramambe to One Mic Night. Welcome, Savannah. How are you? Uh, Hi. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for uh, welcoming me. I'm so Uh, glad you could be here. Yes, I'm Mm. so glad you could be here. So I've known you for a long time and we haven't seen each other for a while, right? Yes. But every now and then I run across people who are doing things in the world that, you know, strike strike up a bone or nerve or, you know, something incredible with people. And that's human connection. And I hopped in on a live with you. uh, It probably was a year ago or so. But you were championing a cause that just, you know, uh, resonated with me. And I want, first of all, I want to, let's, let's tell people who, who is Savannah Maramambe? Listen, um, Savannah was born in Zimbabwe. Let's, let's uh, give the listener a chance to understand the background a little bit. So I was born in Zimbabwe. Um, uh, This year it will be about 54 years ago. Um, so uh, I was raised in a then back then in Zimbabwe it was sort of a middle class. Um, my dad was a teacher um, and a headmaster, which which really is a, a school principal. Um, and my mom, um, much much more like me, was a, a woman who could venture into um, human you know, championing for other human beings. Uh, sometimes she would be working formally. Sometimes she would informally be working and making sure that we were okay as a family. Um, I was born in a family of about 10, five boys, five oh. girls. So, yeah, I learned to speak out. I learned to have to, you have to speak out when you have uh, 10 of you. Otherwise, you'll be drowned somewhere. Right. <laughs> I'm a middle child. So, um came into the U.S. around 1999, somewhere there. And I think that's around uh, 2000. That's probably where we met. Right. Um, and been around, yes. What was what? What is life um, in Zimbabwe? What is life like? I mean, I know the, the country itself has about 14 million people, but what, what is life for an average person there? Yeah. So if we're talking about what is life for an average person right now, um, right now it is a nightmare. Um, If you are not part of the 5% of the population that's doing well, you are either outside in the diaspora like me, you are working 24-7, working shifts so that you can take care of yourself here, and also be able to assist others back home. Wow. Uh, for the ones, for the people that are back home, if you're lucky, uh, you work for the government and you earn 
very little, or you are not employed or you're self-employed. You have to figure out how to take care of your family. So most people are trading, selling something so that they can be able to um, take care of uh, themselves. And I think at some point they were saying we have about five uh, million of us outside of Zimbabwe trying to do this. Five million outside of Zimbabwe trying to make money to send back home to the people yeah. that live in Zimbabwe. Yeah. What's the uh, what's the the main source of income for the country? Is it agriculture? Is it is there one? So Zimbabwe is very very rich. Agriculture tops everything else because we have land. We have beautiful uh, weather. We have a climate that's that everybody would just die for, right? right. Um, sometimes we do have drought and it can mess up with agriculture, but uh, almost everybody uh, who, is, uh, who can take care of themselves, they do so by, uh, if, if it's in the majority of the people who are in the village, they do uh, agriculture. And then we have obviously the farming, which is why it was very controversial a few years back when the farms were being redistributed and it created um, a ripple effect of some of the problems that we have. So, so what do you mean? The government took control of the farms and they redistributed the farms according to what they wanted to do? Is that what you mean? Or yeah, I'm talking about yeah the land redistribution that was done by the government. Mm -hmm. uh, the story of land is a topic on its own that we don't want to venture into right now. Okay. It will take the whole entire subject of our uh, discussion. But yes, uh, at some point, the government tried to redistribute the land. And uh, of course, uh, there are a lot of issues behind that. Wow. So someone who used to own something may not now own what they what they had before, or maybe a little percentage of what they had before. In terms yeah. So um, this is why I said the land redistribution story is very complicated. Um, Zimbabwe, the, the majority of the population, obviously uh, the indigenous majority are the black Africans. Mm -hmm. And then they, at that point, there were about 5% of uh, population of the white Zimbabweans or Rhodesians at that point. Um, how, how any one of them got land was different. Some bought their own land, some inherited large amount of land that had been taken from the blacks prior to independence. Mm. So that's the story. That's why I say the story is complicated. Gotcha. And then when it was, uh, the government came up uh, in trying to redistribute so that we can have the 95% of the population have on some land. And um, yeah, that's where some of the biggest problems began. And have some, have some of the land and have some way to feed themselves, but not on the government's money. I guess, so to speak. I don't know if you can say that, but I probably. Um, yeah, it's yeah. complicated. Yeah, it sounds complicated. It's very complicated. Uh, it needs a whole subject <laughs> to explain it. <laughs> so, so where does that leave people? That leaves people destitute. It leaves people. So, uh, 
necessarily. Some people were left destitute. Some people were, uh, because it, it never was done uh, right. And when something like that is happening, there's never uh, the right way of doing it. Somebody's just going to get screwed up, just like in the beginning when right. it was taken, people got screwed up. Um, now, uh, the, the big issue in Zimbabwe right now is that the country's economy crashed a long time ago. And uh, when we're talking about Zimbabwe's economy and Zimbabwe as a country, uh, in my opinion, it crashed uh, the whole nine yards of a, uh, of a failed state. Um, there's no other way of explaining it. It's not a popular opinion that we are a failed state. Uh, the reasons why we are a failed state are many and varied. Um, again, it's a it's a topic that you may want to come <laughs> again and we'll right. talk about it. Um, but um, because there's no easy way of explaining it in one sentence. Right. I guess it's yeah. It's based on history and the way the government was set up, and you know, through the years, hasn't been. <laughs> equally distributed things uh that and also that there is sheer corruption yes. <laughs> corruption is there and right. we can't we we, we we i will not mince my words on that there's corruption it's part of why uh, the society is now um where we are because when people are not being held accountable to the things that they're doing it starts from the top now it's right at the bottom where no one wants to do the right thing. Right. We're all responsible at the moment. Everybody's now responsible for the state that we are in. Right. Wow. Mm -hmm. So where do you, where does that fit in with what you were doing? So you, you know, are there organizations, obviously probably not led by the government, but you know, through private sectors, people trying to help others get off the street or, Find, you know, get housing or food, where does that come into play? All right. So let me give a background history of what I do and how it started. It started maybe back in the, in uh, 2008. Um, I started a nonprofit that used to, uh, with my sister who was back home, I would send whatever I could, raise here, do what I could um, to take care of orphans that were being left by parents. We At that point, we were having a huge problem. We were in a, an epidemic in Zimbabwe. Or of course, it's, it's a pandemic of HIV and AIDS, but Zimbabwe had been heavily affected um, we had a lot of orphans who were being left and we had child-headed homes. We had uh, young kids being taken care of, grandparents that were unable to take care of them. So that's, that's really the basis of how we started. Um, but as, as time goes by, it was evolving. Um, and then we, we started helping. Um, uh, we were growing and we're doing what we could. So um, at some point, we got a little bit of funding from someone. We were distributing food hampers to as, as far as the twin, the other city, which is uh, Bluweo, Harare. I'm from the capital city, Harare. But we, what we were doing, we were doing it in the village. Now, uh, what made us jump from where we are is that uh, right after the 
pandemic, the new pandemic, uh, COVID. I was in New York City, mm-hmm. and we all know what was happening in New York City. It was uh, it was a horrific time to Horrible. be in New York City that whole time. Um, I I really could not handle being in New York City at that point. I I really wanted to leave. I wanted to go anywhere. Um, but um, I couldn't leave for the longest because everything was shut down. But once the first flight opened, I think I bought tickets three times, and each time uh, I would return by the at the airport because either something has been changed, a rule you can't fly through here, you have to go back. Right. And then one time, uh, then Ethiopian Airways started just ferrying people. I decided I'm gonna. Abandoned the other tickets. I bought a ticket with uh, Ethiopian Airways and I left and went to Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, like I said, is a beautiful country with a beautiful weather. The minute I got there, I went to the village. Uh, that's where my mom is. Um, just being in the village where there's space and the sun, my mood shifted at that point. I became I started feeling good again. I started feeling better because I was really uh, suffering from depression just being yes. in New York City. Right, as most people did here in New York City. And you absolutely, know, yes, absolutely. Yes. I, I I felt like the world was coming to an end. Right. Yeah. So um, this is how it then started. When I got there, I discovered. I, I saw my brother who is about forty. 44 this year, I had never seen a dead man walking, but he was a dead man walking. He was, uh, he was so skinny. There was something just not right about him. He, he couldn't sleep. He would wake up um, the whole night just doing things that were like, you, 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 you would realize there's something not right. Mm-hmm. Um, but after a while having conversations with him, then he said to me, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm on crystal meth, but I dismissed it. I didn't think it was, um, it was real. I, I couldn't imagine Zim- him being able to find crystal meth in Zimbabwe. So I said to him, you gotta be kidding me. You are not on crystal meth. Uh, you, you don't know what crystal meth is. He said, no, I do. And then he started explaining to me about the drug. Of course, it was something that he obviously they had rehearsed, uh, I mean, read somewhere, memorized, and he was just telling me what crystal meth is. And um, uh, then he said, look, um, then I said, you need help. You need to get rehabilitation. You need all this kind of stuff. And then he was like, yeah, but uh, the problem is that if you do give me help, alone, uh, it's not going to help because the minute I go back home, all my friends are on crystal meth. The, most of the young uh, people in the community are on crystal meth. Yeah. So if you take me, I go back to my community. I'm just going to relapse, which is the truth. Which with crystal is very meth. true. Yes, which is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you say, I said, no, I need you to, you, you, you're not telling me the truth. I need you to show me. So immediately in trying to encourage him to uh, really trust me and get me to show me what the problem was, I also say to him, look, I, I want to do, I want to record this. I want to do a documentary out of this. I'm prepared to put money on it and do a documentary so that if it's true, people out there can see it. Because you, as you know, I'm, always, I'm a storyteller. Yes. Um, I also do investigative journalism. 
So I, I always go in and find these stories and find the truth and try to find a solution to it. So I went, um, I, I hired a crew and then we went in. I said to him, look, find me your friends who are willing to show me and talk. And I promise that once I have the story, I'm going to do what I can to get the story out there so that they can find help. And I also promise that I will come back at some point when I'm able to raise money or to do this and get them into some rehabilitation of some sort. And they must also be uh, agreeable to the conditions that they should be, should, they should get help. So when I got to his place, which is, uh, he still lives where we grew up. There were about 10 people there. Um, I, I, th I thought that was a large number. And the most shocking part was that the youngest of them all there was about 14. A young boy who was about 14 and then a young girl who was about 13. Wow. Immediately, I said to myself, I can't take the stories of the minors because right. I would get in trouble. Um, I took the story of the 14-year-old but um, obviously it's not released. Um, but I also was curious to find out who his family was and why he was on crystal meth at 14 mm -hmm. on the streets. So I started following their stories and then they started taking me to all these places and I started meeting more and more and it, I realized that it was a disaster, a nightmare. There were so many people. There were so many people, yeah. Oh yeah. my God, there were so many well, people. Let me let me ask you this. I don't want to you know interrupt the story, but do you think that the, the parallel is just like here in the United States? It's a means of getting away from what's happening. You know, if you can have the crystal meth, and you know you're living in poverty or you're living in, you know, somewhere where you're not getting uh, what you need. The, the go-to thing, it doesn't necessarily have to be crystal meth, but it's some sort of drug or alcohol or, you know, something to get you away from all that. And also knowing that, you know, possibly there's no future for you to do anything. There's no future for you to go anywhere, you know? You nail it. You nail yeah, it. Um, of course. It's, uh, it's a getaway. Yeah, it's a getaway. <laughs> we all know that usually it's a getaway, right? Right. From whatever is happening. You also said um, something that was very important too, and I'm sorry, you you, it's okay. you said about your brother. You said you're not going to do it unless he wants to help himself. You weren't going to help so, him unless, yeah. Yeah, so uh, you see, uh, that belief system, I had it when I was here because that's sort of the... Uh, what is what we're told when we're here mm -hmm. that you can't help someone so like I'm in California right now I'm in San Diego <laughs> you know what that means right yeah oh yeah the drug culture is drug. crazy crazy so yeah. that there are hundreds and hundreds of people on the streets and my mind keeps circling and saying are you telling me we can't do anything about this I, I, I don't believe so. So when I went to Zimbabwe, that was the same thing um, where I was just saying the things that I had been told here that when someone is on drugs, you can't help them unless they want the help. I've seen discovered that's not true. Now, uh, with my brother, he wanted help. But as much as he wanted help, he couldn't help himself. He had gone way too deep. 
Mm. You understand? Yeah. Unless sure. somebody was going to push for him and route on his side and push where he can't push, that was the end. Yeah. You understand? I understand. And the same with these young people that I met. They were way deep. And it is a parallel when I look at everything that I've explained to you about Zimbabwe right now being a nightmare. Um, I, I'm not surprised that the young have turned to drugs. Right. And yeah. also remember uh, the pandemic. As much as we were having a hard time in New York City, all I had to do was make a phone call and I had food. Right. Somebody was going to be able to give me food at any given time. Even though I was staying at home and I wasn't working, the government here and there were dropping in a few points mm -hmm. and we were able to survive. Right. But in terms of food, there was absolutely, I wouldn't say all the time I was in New York City, I ever starved. Right. We definitely my, had access. You're right. We had access. Mm -hmm. We had resources. Right. But when the pandemic hit Zimbabwe, there were no resources. There was nothing for people. They were just told to stay in these quarantine zones to me it reminded me of that movie called quarantine yes uh, I, I think it's called uh contagion if you ever saw it it was a nightmare because here we have people that have been put in a, in these zones where i to me i felt it was a death trap you understand yeah. where you are in a death trap just stay in those uh, ghettos, we call them ghettos. Um, just stay there. Uh, there's no relief. No one is giving you food. You can't go work for your kids. And the only working that they can do is on the streets and they're not being allowed to be on the streets. And these kids are not going to school. There is nothing. When when, when the pandemic was hitting, my 13-year-old my was going to school in the house. We They gave him a laptop. We uh, If we didn't have internet, they made sure they would ask you, they would provide for provide you. Provide for you, exactly. Exactly, and yeah. he continued his schooling at home. Right. But all these thousands and thousands of kids, all of a sudden, were not going to school. They had nothing to do. They were hanging out on the streets. And what happened? When they were hanging out on the streets, the drug dealers were on the pro. They increased Right. All of a sudden, they're just giving these kids, hey, you want to try this? You want to try? You, and you know when once you try crystal meth once, you're done. You're done. It's a wrap. And, yeah. And that's what happened. So here are kids not going to school, not understanding what somebody's telling them, hey, just try this. It, it gives you energy. It makes you feel. And now we have a problem where kids are dropping out from school, dropping out from colleges. It's 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 no longer the same as here in the US, right? Because this is this is just I, I I've never seen such magnitude. I'm right. not trying to exaggerate. No, no, I believe you, and it's 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 mm. like what we just said. It's you know maybe not having access to food and the things we need and schooling, but they had yeah. access to the drugs, and that's what took took them under. Absolutely, it's like New York in the 1980s when crack came around. Crack exactly. was five dollars. You know, it's five dollars. Everybody could buy crack. Yeah. That's where we are. Yeah. That's where we are. And and crack is there too. Yeah. Yep. Wow. That's it. Wow. Yeah. And so what did you what did you do to help this journey? 
so uh, once that happened, obviously I took to, you know, my usual way of uh, speaking is social media. Right. Uh, I took to social media. I started asking questions. I started talking. I started tagging anyone I could. I was asking questions. We have a problem. Are you telling me I'm the only one who can see it? Um, I started talking. I started trying to, my usual is try to convince the people that are around me first to say, look, this is the problem. If I can't convince the people around me, there's no way I can convince uh, others. So uh, I tried to convince my sister, number one. And I was like, look, we have a problem. I need you to help me. I can't do this by myself. And she was like, oh, look, I'm tired of you. Each time you come, you have all these things that you start. <laughs> all these ideas, all these. <laughs> you have all these ideas. And then at the end of the day, you take off and you leave and you leave me with all these things in my hands. I said, well, this is not the same. This is a, this is a problem. I, 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 the thing is that I try to help. I try to ignite an idea, right? And I'm hoping that somebody's going to catch that idea and take off with it. But usually people uh, wait and watch someone do it and don't join in. Oh, I can't yeah, yeah. do anything by myself, right. but I am trying to ignite an idea. So it, it means people will, you're not getting it. So I said, look, this, this is different. It's, it's a problem that's going to affect you sooner or later if you do not help and i said okay anyway i'm just gonna go continue do what i'm doing i continue talking i continued and soon enough she realized that this is not i'm not stopping and this is this is a problem and also because i just started using a house i was staying with her and then all of a sudden she would see people showing up at her house mm. and i'm like uh this is so and so uh, i'm doing this with this person oh i'm doing a video we are doing this she, she couldn't run away. I just had to, and we started in her house. Uh, this whole thing started in her house. We started using her house as an office. We started recruiting from there. We started talking from there. We started going to talk to people because she's she's just a natural counselor. She's someone who can easily talk to people. And that's how it started. Wow. That's beautiful. And, and that's what they say too. Like when you start something, you may not yeah. necessarily be good at everything, but you yeah. get those people who are good in certain areas Absolutely. to join forces with you. So if she's a good counselor, she's the one to talk to people, but you're the person with a plan or you're the person that can orate everything or yes. document everything. Exactly. That's how all the parts fit together. Exactly. I, I, I was like, you know what? I can, I know exactly what needs to be done, but mm -hmm. I can't do it all. Can She's do an it, administrator. Yeah. She has a, a, a master's in administration and all this kind of, I said, you, you, you have all the education. You can do this. You can run this thing. Um, but she had already given up or also, she was also like, you know what? I'll never get a job. Uh, she had taken all her certificates, her education, shelved it somewhere there and forgot forgotten about it mm. but now she's she's running this thing she's this is good. doing amazing tell us the name of the the nonprofit. so the organization is called mubatira pamwe and mubatira pamwe essentially means doing it together working together say it one more um, time mubatira pamwe mubatira pamwe mubatira pamwe pamwe Okay. <laughs> yeah, close enough. So, um, yeah. So, essentially, what we were saying is, these uh, as an organization, mm -hmm. when we are talking about this issue that we have, 
there's no way we're going to be able to do it ourselves. We need every stakeholder involved, including the government, including the uh, the community itself. They need to do something. So we started lobbying the government. We started lobbying the community. We started doing uh, campaigns in the community. We started going and talking to anybody, uh, private sector, to say, look, this is a problem. Everybody is affected and will be affected sooner or later. Uh, if your brother is not doing drugs, like my brother, mm-hmm. you are going to be affected because my brother is going to rob you. Right. My brother is yes. going to beat you up. Yeah. The effect of it all. Yeah. Yep. If he's not doing it, he's going to be a victim of, uh, of it. Exactly. Somehow. Yeah. He's going to steal. That's somebody's going to steal from you. Somebody's going to rob you in the streets right. because they want money for the drugs. That's so true. Mm. And so you, how long have you, has the organization been running? You said 2008? Um, 2008 doing different things. Doing but different things. Um, yeah, we officially registered it in 2020. Because all this time that we were working, we had never really officially registered it. So we officially registered in 2020. Good. So, yeah. How can we help? How can we help anybody who's, you know, listening in the United States, anybody around the world that's listening to this podcast? How can we help? There are so many ways. Um, The experience that people have here in the U.S. dealing with drugs um, is essential. Um, the reason why I was, it was so easy for me to jump in and understand what to do is because I had been exposed in New York City. Right. <laughs> I knew exactly what to do. Remember, remember, uh, I'm not sure if you, oh, no, we, you, you were not with me yet. I, when we separated and we went our ways after that whole, um, the last time we worked together, um, I started working in Harlem. Okay. And working in Harlem exposed me to a lot, including the drug dealers coming into the clubs, Mm. trying to, you know, including then dealing with people on the streets. And most of the time, the people that I tried to hire were people who were recovering from drugs. And I was working with uh, organizations that were helping. So um, at some point, I even took one young man uh, and we started uh, living with him and helping him. But um, he would say, please do not let me be idle. So he would work literally 24-7. 24-7. Wow. The minute he got idle, the minute I, I, I thought he was okay and we found him his own place, the next thing, he, he still had my keys to the house. The next thing I got home, my laptop was gone. My sister's laptop was gone and everything. And he was back on the streets. Yeah, that's sadly a fear that most people have when you're, you know, dealing with recovering people, you know, Mm. and uh, it's what, what does your organization do? What kind of services does it provide? So we have the uh, whole, uh, the whole, um, we are ta- we've taken this into to, to, to do it in a holistic way. We we have what we call a drop-in center. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe people would call it a clinic here. And the reason why we don't call it a clinic is also because words are powerful. Uh, the reason why people don't want to get treatment sometimes is the words that we use. Um, if you tell someone who is an addict, 
or is called the Menad in the first place, um, that's already sealing their fate. They're not right. going to look for help. So if you take someone who is recovering or who wants to recover and they say, I'm taking you to a clinic immediately and they'll tell you, I'm not sick. There's nothing wrong with me. More so if you take them to a place and say, you're going to see a mental specialist like a psychiatrist, they don't want to hear that because what essentially you're saying to them is that uh, you are mentally unwell. Yes. But we do understand that this also is a mental health issue. So uh, when they come into the drop-in center, there's no, there are no labels. It doesn't talk about it being a drug place or a place where people are being treated for drugs. It's just a drop-in center. And I they like come that. in. Yeah, so they come in. Um, they get evaluations according to the World Health Organization standards. But what we have taken the standards even further, we have put into um, effect. We've, in fact, we, we have taken the standards and everything about treatment um, and we have put into consideration our environment in Zimbabwe. We've put into consideration our belief system in Zimbabwe. We've put into consideration our culture and the belief systems that people have, because if we if we don't take that into uh, consideration, that is that means we are essentially taking something from here and we are trying to give it to people and say just accept it. People will not accept it, right? Because it's foreign. So I love that. So you're incorporating the values of your your own society, your own culture into. Absolutely the wellness of the people. And I like that. I like, what you, I like what you just said, because it sort of, it, it takes away the stigma from yes. what people are doing by changing the words. The words do have power. So it's a wellness center or it's a drop. Yes. In, it's a wellness like, center. You know, yes. yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So you don't feel a certain way because you're right. Uh -huh. the, the, yeah. the connotation of a word has a certain feel to it and it makes you, makes you feel a certain way. You don't want Absolutely. to participate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, in, 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 when we're talking about taking into consideration uh, our culture and who we are, one of the aspects that we we put we, we we really really knew we had to put into it is the concept of Ubuntu. I think you've heard this uh, Ubuntu Hulu. When we call it in my language, we say Hulu, which is Ubuntu, right? Mm -hmm. Essentially, what we are saying is in our communities we don't believe a person is an individual and can exist as an individual. Now, what you will see the difference when we approach this. So if someone is doing drugs in the family, like my brother, uh, we are not going to say it's, it's his decision. He has to want help. That's where I was saying that's the difference. Right, gotcha. We are not going to say that, but what we are going to do is that we are going to say, look, one of us is down. We as a family, we are going to sit down and figure out how are we going to help him? Does he have a family? We're going to take care of his family. But in the meantime, we're going to sit him down and try to get him to get treatment, which really is intervention, right? Right. And if he is like most of these uh, young people, they are at a point where they are a danger to themselves, a danger to other people. 
So it can no longer be about them. So the community has to come in. So we will have to enforce the beginning of their treatment until they get to a stabilization. The first 28 days or the first six weeks are probably enforced so mm. that they are stabilized. They're seeing doctors. They, 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 they get uh, psychotropics if they have to because uh, most of the time they are in psychosis, drug-induced psychosis. So they can make that decision to walk into a hospital, which is what I'm seeing right here. A lot of people that are walking around shouldn't be. Right. They should be in a mental institution. Yes, for sure. Someone helping them. For sure. With medication, they stabilize within a short period of time. Right. And this is, this is like you just hit the nail right on the head. This is exactly where we are and the difference between the countries. Because it's not so much like your, your country is more of a homogenous group of people. So the preservation of tradition mm. is strong there. Here in the United States, we have so many different cultures, you know, in an international city um, or country where the only thing you can have pretty much is your family unit. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. if you live in a neighborhood that has the same type of people as you, those kind mm -hmm. of people are probably, say you live in an Italian neighborhood, maybe mm. the Italians come together as a community and they do things. Mm. But a lot of places like New York City, you don't have that. You don't have, no. so you're relying on, you know, just your family unit and the ideal of Americans, most Americans, is me first. It's me, yeah. me, what I'm doing, what I'm doing. And you're not worried about, you know, your family. You're not worried about anyone else. You're worried about what I can get, mm -hmm. what suits me. Yeah. So but that's, it's, it's also a culture that was created. Yes. That's the mm -hmm. culture of the United mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, it's the same thing in Zimbabwe because of, uh, remember the things that I've said, Zimbabwe crushed uh, as a country, mm -hmm. which means even our um, culture has come under a huge attack. Uh, a lot of people in trying to escape have abandoned their culture, which is really this, the, the, the one thing that could have held us together. Right. But a lot of uh, people are taking in a lot of foreign things, trying to, you know, I, I've just spent 20, over 20 years here in the U.S. If I was somebody else, like a lot of my friends, they've abandoned uh, the culture in Zimbabwe. They're doing whatever they can. They're right. already Americanized or they're already... Uh, British because they are living in Britain or whatever it is um, because it's necessary to, to be able to integrate sure. um, but um, I, I guess my lucky part is that I was in New York City it's a melting pot you don't have to change who you are right. you can be who you are, who you are. and yeah and still um, find a piece of yourself in New York City so the other aspect of our treatment process is that we also have a sober living space and again words are powerful we don't call it a rehabilitation space there's resistance to that and people need to learn that um, the names are also very powerful when the young people are told they're going into rehabilitation mm -hmm. they resist because they think they're going into some uh, boot camp like where the soldiers and the police will be waking them hard right. this, that's the idea in their head but um the ones that are coming to our place, once they're told they're coming to a sober living space, they are reluctant to come. Once they come, and the way we have set up the space, they love the space. They want to be there. For the first time, 
they they feel good about themselves because the space is made to make them understand they are important. If someone is going to put you in a space like that, you're important. There's no one who would put a, a, a person they do not like in a space like ours. Wow. You understand? Is there a length of time that they, they're allowed to stay there? Or Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so our program uh, was designed over the 90-day period, which is the minimum uh, that a physical detox can happen. Um, so within that 90 days, what we're saying is that the first six weeks, they're going through that acute detox phase where the drug is essentially just withdrawing from their body. But while it's withdrawing from their body, it can induce a lot of uh, turmoil, including psychosis. If they are really in an acute psychosis, either we transfer them into a mental institution where they get stabilized or they start from a, most times they start from a mental institution because the government does have mental institutions uh, and it, it, it becomes a little cheaper for the people who are also doing it because it's not, it's not cheap, it's expensive. Yeah. Now, once they are stable for about 28 days in a, in a mental institution, now we are no longer dealing with someone in psychosis. We are dealing with someone who can understand what we're doing. Then we begin uh, another journey until they hit 90 days. But the first, the, the, uh, towards the end of their 90 days, we start a process where we are reintegrating them back into the community. Um, they don't just go, get released and thrown back into the community because uh, essentially they will still last a, a week, two weeks, right. and yeah. they will relapse. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. And I mean, I'm sure there's a physical dependency as well, but you know, the mindset too. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, because they, after the 90 days, uh, they, we want them to start a process of the mind hold. The drug has a hold on the mind yes. and that right. can last for a year or two years, as they say. So that's where the biggest issue is because once they go back into the community, their triggers are right there. Right. The Good. same things that made them go into the drug situation is still in the community. So while they are inside, we are also trying to work with their families, getting them the counseling that they need, getting them to understand what they are dealing with so that when the person comes back, they don't trigger them right back by the things they say, the things they do, and also understand why he was doing drugs in the first place. So we have to walk that journey with them. So it's, it's, it becomes a little more holistic than just taking people inside, releasing them. It right. becomes a cycle. Love it. Well, why don't we implement that, <laughs> that formula here? I don't know. I, 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 I want to do it. I yeah. really want to do it. I said there, is, there are resources here, right? Right. Um, if I could get people that I can work with, I, w- I would love us to do that. Yeah. This is why I've, I you find me, I'm in San Diego. It's not by uh, an accident. I am really interested in starting and implementing the Ubuntu treatment. That's what I call it, the Ubuntu treatment here, where we do not wait for people to ask for help because they're not going to ask for help because they can't. Right. But we need to kickstart and then they can make a decision when they're stable. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you, do you have a website where we can find more information? Yes. Uh, it's Mubatira Palme Trust. Uh, actually, it's org. 
Okay. Yeah, And how can we? Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I will, I will text you the uh, correct spelling. Yep. And send me the information. information, and we'll put that in the notes of the episode here, so you can absolutely all the viewers can uh, go down and see, and listeners can go down and see that as well. How can we get mm -hmm. in touch with you if we need to get in touch with you? Okay, I will also give you my number. Okay, um, or email or I, whatever. Yeah, or Social email. Media. Yeah, it's the email is info at Batirapamwe Trust. Um, uh, info at Batirapamwe Trust dot org. Okay. Uh, so I will give you all that, uh, and then we can put it in the footnotes because I know the spelling part may be difficult for others. It's a little difficult for me too. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll spell it out for you. All right. <laughs> and that then give you good. all the information. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming to One Mike Night Podcast and um, sharing thank this you. information with us. And hopefully, you know, anybody who's listening and watching the podcast episode will either make a donation. And if you can't make a donation, please share mm -hmm. the episode, like the episode, and just share the information so we can get the word out there to help people and make human mm -hmm. connections around the globe. Mm. So and and mm -hmm. I'm sorry, can I add this in, yes. in terms of what people can do? Absolutely. If there are those who are interested to go to Africa and see, and while they're there, they can participate in a program where, they, where we can work and they can come and work with us, I would love that. There you go. You have it. And um, maybe we can talk outside of this too and set up some kind of virtual thing for, for you to do too. I don't know if... Absolutely. We'll talk, we'll talk after this. Okay. We'll do some things. No problem. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of One Mike Night Podcast. Please make sure you like the episode, comment down below, and definitely share this episode. You can find more at One Mike Night. One Mike Night is spelled O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E. -E. Go to the Facebook page. Drop your flyers on the Facebook page. Join the artist and people community. One Mike Night is celebrating 16 years of being around, and we're going to have a special birthday episode coming up. We've got a few special birthday greetings uh, that people have sent in. So please, you can find me at Marcos Luis, M-A-R-C-O-S-L-U-I-S. -S. Thank you very much for joining me. And remember, be inspired by others, but most importantly, be inspired by yourself. We'll see you next time. Thank you.